Chapter 34 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrik Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Kurtar, 1835-1906. Chapter 34 Zagwoba, in unbroken despair, betook himself to Charnyetsky with a request that he would send to the Swedes to see what had happened to Kowalski. Is he alive yet? Is he groaning in captivity? Or has he paid with his life for his daring? Charnyetsky agreed to this willingly, for he loved Zagwoba. Then, comforting him in his suffering, he said, I think your sister's son must be alive, otherwise the water would have brought him ashore. God grant that he is, answered Zagwaba. Still it would be hard for the water to raise him, for not only had he a heavy hand, but his wit was like lead, as is shown by his action. You speak justly, answered Charnetsky. If he is alive, I ought to give orders to drag him with a horse over the square for disregard of discipline. He might alarm the Swedish army, but he has alarmed both armies. Besides, he was not free to touch the Swedes without command and my order. Is this a general militia, or what the devil that every man has a right to act on his own account? He has offended, I agree. I will punish him myself, if only the Lord will bring him back. But I forgive him in remembrance of the Rutnik affair. I have many prisoners to exchange, and more distinguished officers than Kowalski. Do you go to the Swedes and negotiate about exchange? I will give two or three for him if need be, for I do not wish to make your heart bleed. Come to me for a letter to the king, and go quickly. Zagwoba sprang with rejoicing to Kmichitz's tent and told his comrades what had happened. Pan Andrei and Vordyovsky exclaimed at once that they too would go with him, for both were curious to see the Swedes. Besides, Kmichitz might be very useful, since he spoke German almost as fluently as Polish. Preparations did not delay them long. Charnyetsky, without waiting for the return of Zagwoba, sent the letter by a messenger. Then they provided a piece of white cloth fixed to a pole, took a trumpeter, sat in a boat, and moved on. At first they went in silence. Nothing save the plash of oars was to be heard. At last Zagwoba was somewhat alarmed and said, let the trumpeter announce us immediately, for those scoundrels are ready to fire in spite of the white flag. What do you say? answered Vordyovsky. Even barbarians respect envoys, and this is a civilized people. Let the trumpeter sound, I say. The first soldier who happens along will fire, make a hole in the boat, and we shall get into the water. The water is cold, and I have no wish to get wet through their courtesy. There, a sentry is visible, said Kmichitz. The trumpeter sounded. The boat shot forward quickly. On the other shore, a hurried movement began, and soon a mounted officer rode up, wearing a yellow leather cap. When he had approached the edge of the water, 
he shaded his eyes with his hand and began to look against the light. A few yards from the shore, Kmichitz removed his cap in greeting. The officer bowed to him with equal politeness. A letter from Pan Charnyetsky to the most serene king of Sweden, cried Pan Andrei, showing the letter. The guard standing on the shore presented arms. Pan Zagwoba was completely reassured. Presently, he fixed his countenance in dignity befitting his position as an envoy and said in Latin, The past night a certain cavalier was seized on this shore. I have come to ask for him. I cannot speak Latin, answered the officer. Ignoramus, muttered Zagwoba. The officer turned then to Pan Andrei. The king is in the farther end of the camp. Be pleased, gentlemen, to stay here. I will go and announce you. And he turned his horse. The envoys looked around. The camp was very spacious, for it embraced the whole triangle formed by the San and the Vistula. At the summit of the triangle lay Pniev, at the base Tarnobzheg on one side and Rosvadov on the other. Apparently it was impossible to take in the whole extent at a glance. Still, as far as the eye could reach were to be seen trenches, embankments, earthworks and fascines at which were cannons and men. In the very centre of the place, in Gorzitsa, were the quarters of the king. There also the main forces of the army. If hunger does not drive them out of this place, we can do nothing with them, said Kmichitz. The whole region is fortified. There is pasture for horses. But there are not fish for so many mouths, said Zagwaba. Lutherans do not like fasting food. Not long since they had all Poland, now they have this wedge. Let them sit here in safety or go back to Yaroslav. Very skilful men made these trenches, added Vordiovsky, looking with the eye of a specialist on the work. We have more swordsmen, but fewer learned officers, and in military art we are behind others. Why is that? asked Zagwaba. Why? It does not beseem me as a soldier who has served all his life in the cavalry to say this, but everywhere infantry and cannon are the main thing. Hence those campaigns and military manoeuvres, marches and countermarches. A man in a foreign army must devour a multitude of books and turn over a multitude of Roman authors before he becomes a distinguished officer. But there is nothing of that with us. Cavalry rushes into the smoke in a body and shaves with its sabres, and if it does not shave off in a minute, then they shave it off. You speak soundly, Pan Michal, but what nation has won so many famous victories? Yes, because others in old times warred in the same way, and not having the same impetus they were bound to lose. But now they have become wiser, and see what they are doing. Wait for the end. Place for me now the wisest Swedish or German engineer, and against him I will put Roch, who has never turned over books, and let us see. If you could put him, interrupted Kmichitz. True, true, I am terribly sorry for him. Pan Andrei, jabber a little in that dog's language of those breeches fellows, and ask what has happened to Rock. 
You do not know regular soldiers. Here no man will open his lips to you without an order. They are stingy of speech. I know that they are surly scoundrels. While if to our nobles, and especially to the general militia, an envoy comes, immediately talk, talk, they will drink goralka with him, and will enter into political discussion with him, and see how these fellows stand there like posts, and bulge out their eyes at us. I wish they would smother to the last man. In fact, more and more foot soldiers gathered around the envoys, looking at them curiously. The envoys were dressed so carefully in elegant and even rich garments that they made an imposing appearance. Zagwaba arrested most attention, for he bore himself with almost senatorial dignity. Vorovsky was less considered by reason of his stature. Meanwhile, the officer who received them first on the bank returned with another of higher rank and with soldiers leading horses. The superior officer bowed to the envoys and said in Polish, His Royal Grace asks you, gentlemen, to his quarters, and since they are not very near, we have brought horses. Are you a Pole? asked Zagwoda. No, I am a Czech, Sadowski, in the Swedish service. Kmichitz approached him at once. Do you know me? Sadovsky looked at him quickly. Of course, at Chenstohova you blew up the largest siege gun, and Miller gave you to Kuklinovsky. I greet you, greet you heartily as a famous knight. And what is going on with Kuklinovsky? asked Kmichitz. But do you not know? I know that I paid him with that with which he wanted to treat me, but I left him alive. He died. I thought he would freeze to death, said Pan Andrei, waving his hand. Worthy Colonel, put in Zagwoba, have you not a certain Rok Kowalski? Sadovsky laughed. Of course. Praise be to God and the Most Holy Lady. The lad is alive and I shall get him. Praise be to God. I do not know whether the king will be willing to yield him up, said Sadovsky. But why not? because he has pleased him greatly. He recognized him at once as the same man who had pushed after him with such vigor at Rudnik. We held our sides listening to the narrative of the prisoner. The king asked, Why did you pick me out? And he answered, I made a vow. Then the king asked again, But will you do so again? Of course, answered the prisoner. The king began to laugh. Put away your vow, said he, and I will give you your life and freedom. Impossible. Why? For my uncle would proclaim me a fool. And are you so sure that you could manage me in a hand-to-hand -hand fight? Oh, I could manage five men like you, said he. Then the king asked again, And do you dare to raise your hand against majesty? Yes, said he, for you have a vile faith. They interpreted every word to the king, and he was more and more pleased, and continued to repeat, This man has pleased me. Then, wishing to see whether in truth he had such strength, he gave orders to choose twelve of the strongest men in camp, and bring them to wrestle in turn with the prisoner. But he is a muscular fellow. When I came away, he had stretched out ten, one after another, and not a man of them could rise again. We shall arrive just at the end of the amusement. 
I recognize Roch, my blood, said Zagwaba. We will give for him even three famous officers. You will find the king in good humor, said Sadovsky, which is a rare thing nowadays. Oh, I believe that, answered the little knight. Meanwhile, Sadovsky turned to Kmichitz and asked how he had not only freed himself from Kuklinovsky, but put an end to him. Kmichitz told him in detail. Sadovsky, while listening, seized his own head with amazement. At last he pressed Kmichitz's hand again and said, Believe me, I am sincerely glad, for though I serve the Swedes, every true soldier's heart rejoices when a real cavalier puts down a ruffian. I must acknowledge to you that when a daring man is found among you, one must look with a lantern through the universe to find his equal. You are a courteous officer, said Zagwoba. And a famous soldier, we know that, added Vordiovsky. I learned courtesy and the soldier's art from you, answered Sadovsky, touching his cap. Thus they conversed, vying with one another in courtesy, till they reached Gorzitsa, where the king's quarters were. The whole village was occupied by soldiers of various arms. Our envoys looked with curiosity at the groups scattered among the fences. Some, wishing to sleep away their hunger, were dozing around cottages, for the day was very clear and warm. Some were playing dice on drums, drinking beer. Some were hanging their clothes on the fences. Others were sitting in front of the cottages, singing Scandinavian longs, rubbing with brick dust their breastplates and helmets, from which bright gleams went forth. In places they were cleaning horses or leading them out. In a word, camp life was moving and seething under the bright sky. There were men, it is true, who bore signs of terrible toil and hunger, but the sun covered their leanness with gold. Besides, days of rest were beginning for those incomparable warriors. Therefore they took courage at once and assumed a military bearing. Vorodyovsky admired them in spirit, especially the infantry regiments, famous through the whole world for endurance and bravery. Sadovsky gave explanations as they passed, saying, This is the Smaland regiment of the Royal Guard. This is the infantry of Delicalia, the very best. In God's name, what little monsters are these? cried Zagwaba on a sudden, pointing to a group of small men with olive complexions and black hair hanging on both sides of their heads. Those are Laplanders who belong to the remotest Hyperboreans. Are they good in battle? It seems to me that I might take three in each hand and strike with their heads till I was tired. You could surely do so. They are useless in battle. The Swedes bring them for camp servants and partly as a curiosity. But they are the most skillful of wizards. Each of them has at least one devil in his service and some have five. How do they get such friendship with evil spirits? asked Kmichitz, making the sign of the cross. Because they wander in night, which with them lasts half a year or more, and you know that it is easier to hold converse with the devil at night. But have they souls? It is unknown, but I think that they are more in the nature of animals. Kmichitz turned his horse, caught one of the Laplanders by the shoulders, 
raised him up like a cat and examined him curiously. Then he put him on his feet and said, If the king would give me one such, I would give orders to have him dried and hung up in the church in Orsha, where, among other curiosities, are ostrich eggs. In Wubnia, at the parish church, there were jaws of a whale or even of a giant, said Vordiovsky. Let us go on, for something evil will fall on us here, said Zagwaba. Let us go, repeated Sadovsky. To tell the truth, I ought to have had bags put on your heads, as is the custom. But we have nothing here to hide, and that you have looked on the trenches is all the better for us. They spurred on their horses, and after a while were before the castle at Gorzitsa. In front of the gate they sprang from their saddles and advanced on foot, for the king was before the house. They saw a large number of generals and very celebrated officers. Old Wittenberg was there, Douglas, Lohenhaupt, Miller, Ericsson, and many others. All were sitting on the balcony, a little behind the king, whose chair was pushed forward, and they looked on the amusement which Karl Gustav was giving himself with the prisoner. Roch had just stretched out the twelfth cavalier, and was in a coat torn by the wrestlers, panting and sweating greatly. When he saw his uncle in company with Kmichitz and Vordiovsky, he thought at once that they too were prisoners. He stared at them, opened his mouth, and advanced a couple of steps, but Zagoba gave him a sign with his hand to stand quietly, and the envoy stood himself with his comrades before the face of the king. Sadovsky presented the envoys. They bowed low, as custom and etiquette demanded. Then Zagoba delivered Charnetsky's letter. The king took the letter and began to read. Meanwhile, the Polish envoys looked at him with curiosity, for they had never seen him before. He was a man in the flower of his age, as dark in complexion as though born an Italian or a Spaniard. His long hair, black as a raven's wing, fell behind his ears to his shoulders. In brightness and colour his eyes brought to mind Yeremi Vishniowiecki. His brows were greatly elevated, as if he were in continual astonishment. In the place where the brows approached, his forehead was raised in a large protuberance, which made him resemble a lion. A deep wrinkle above his nose, which did not leave him even when he was laughing, gave his face a threatening and wrathful expression. His lower lip protruded like that of Jan Kazimir, but his face was heavier and his chin larger. He wore moustaches in the form of cords, brushed out somewhat at the ends. In general, his face indicated an uncommon man, one of those who, when they walk over the earth, press blood out of it. There was in him grandeur, the pride of a monarch, the strength of a lion, and the quickness of genius. But though a kindly smile never left his mouth, there was lacking that kindness of heart which illuminates a face from within with a mild light, as a lamp placed in the middle of an alabaster urn lights it. He sat in the armchair with crossed legs, the powerful calves of which were indicated clearly from under the black stockings, and blinking as was his wont, he read with a smile the letter from Charnitsky. Raising his lids, 
he looked at Pan Michal and said, I knew you at once. You slew Kanneberg. All eyes were turned immediately on Vordiovsky, who, moving his moustaches, bowed and answered, At the service of your royal grace. What is your office? asked the king. Colonel of the Louder Squadron. Where did you serve before? With the Voivoda of Vilno. And did you leave him with the others? You betrayed him and me. I was bound to my own king, not to your royal grace. The king said nothing. All foreheads were frowning, eyes began to bore into Pan Michal, but he stood calmly, merely moving his moustaches time after time. All at once the king said, It is pleasant for me to know such a famous cavalier. Canneberg passed among us as incomparable in hand-to-hand -hand conflict. You must be the first sabre in the kingdom? In universo, in the universe, said Zagwaba. Not the last, answered Vordiovsky. I greet you, gentlemen, heartily. For Pan Chanyetsky I have a real esteem as for a great soldier, though he broke his word to me, for he ought to be sitting quietly till now in Cheviege. Your Royal Grace, said Kmichitz, Pan Chanyetsky was not the first to break his word, but General Miller, who seized Wolf's regiment of Royal Infantry. Miller advanced a step, looked in the face of Kmichitz, and began to whisper something to the king, who, blinking all the time, listened attentively. Looking at Pan Andrei, he said at last, I see that Pan Charnitsky has sent me chosen cavaliers. I know from of old that there is no lack of daring men among you, but there is a lack of faith in keeping promises and oaths. Holy are the words of your royal grace, answered Zagwaba. How do you understand that? If it were not for this vice of our people, your royal grace would not be here. The king was silent a while. The generals again frowned at the boldness of the envoys. Jan Kazimir himself freed you from the oath, said Karl, for he left you and took refuge abroad. From the oath we can be freed only by the vicar of Christ, who resides in Rome, and he has not freed us. A truce to that, said the king. I have acquired the kingdom by this. Here he struck his sword, and by this I will hold it. I do not need your suffrages nor your oaths. You want war, you will have it. I think that Pan Chanyetsky remembers Gowombiet. He forgot it on the road from Yaroslav, answered Zagwaba. The king, instead of being angry, smiled. I'll remind him of it. God rules the world. Tell him to visit me. I shall be glad to receive him, but he must hurry, for as soon as my horses are in condition, I shall march farther. Then we shall receive your royal grace, said Zagwaba, bowing and placing his hand slightly on his sabre. I see, said the king, that Pan Charnyetsky has sent in the embassy not only the best sabres, but the best mouth. In a moment you parry every thrust. It is lucky that the war is not of words, for I should find an opponent worthy of my power. 
But I will come to the question. Pan Czarniecki asks me to liberate this prisoner, offering two officers of distinction in return. I do not set such a low price on my soldiers as you think, and I have no wish to redeem them too cheaply. That would be against my own and their ambition. But since I can refuse Pan Czarniecki nothing, I will make him a present of this cavalier. Gracious Lord, answered Zagwaba, Pan Czarniecki did not wish to show contempt for Swedish officers, but compassion for me, for this is my sister's son, and I, at the service of your royal grace, am Pan Czarniecki's adviser. In truth, said the king, I ought not to let the prisoner go, for he has made a vow against me, unless he will give up his vow in view of this favour. Here he turned to Roch, who was standing in front of the porch, and beckoned. But come nearer, you strong fellow. Rock approached a couple of steps and stood erect. Sadovsky, said the king, ask him if he will let me go in case I free him. Sadovsky repeated the king's question. Impossible, cried Rock. The king understood without an interpreter and began to clap his hands and blink. Well, well, how can I set such a man free? He has twisted the necks of twelve horsemen and promises me as the thirteenth. Good, good, the cavalier has pleased me. Is he Pan Czarniecki's adviser too? If he is, I will let him go all the more quickly. Keep your mouth shut, muttered Zagwaba to Roch. A truce to amusement, said the king suddenly. Take him and have still one more proof of my clemency. I can forgive as the lord of this kingdom, since such is my will and favour. But I will not enter into terms with rebels. Here the king frowned and the smile left his face. Whoso raises his hand against me is a rebel, for I am his lawful king. Only from kindness to you have I not punished hitherto as was proper. I have been waiting for you to come to your minds, but the hour will strike when kindness will be exhausted and the day of punishment will rise. Through your self-will and instability, the country is flaming with fire. Through your disloyalty, blood is flowing. But I tell you, the last days are passing. You do not wish to hear admonitions. You do not wish to obey laws. You will obey the sword and the gallows. Lightnings flashed in Karl's eyes. Zagwaba looked on him a while with amazement, unable to understand whence that storm had come after fair weather. Finally, he too began to grow angry. Therefore, he bowed and said only, We thank your royal grace. Then he went off, and after him, Kmichitz, Vordiovsky and Rochkowalski. Gracious, gracious, said Zagwaba, and before you can look around, he bellows in your ear like a bear. Beautiful end to an embassy. Others give honour with a carpet parting, but he with the gallows. Let him hang dogs, not nobles. Oh, my God, how grievously we have sinned against our king, who was a father, is a father, and will be a father for there is a Jagiellon heart in him. 
and such a king traitors deserted and went to make friendship with scarecrows from beyond the sea we are served rightly for we were not worthy of anything better gibbets gibbets he is fenced in and we have squeezed him like curds in a bag so that whey is coming out and still he threatens with sword and gibbet wait a while the cossack caught a tartar and the tartar has him by the head it will be closer for you yet roch i wanted to give you a slap on the face or fifty blows on a carpet but i forgive you now since you acted so like a cavalier and promised to hunt him still farther let me kiss you for i am delighted with you uncle is still glad said roch the gibbet and the sword and he told that to my eyes said zagoba again after a while you have protection the wolf protects in the same fashion as sheep for his own eating and when does he say that now when there is goose skin on his own back let him take his laplanders for counsellors and with them seek satan's aid but the most holy lady will help us as she did pan bobola in sandomierge when powder threw him and his horse across the vistula and he was not hurt he looked around to see where he was and arrived in time to dine with the priest with such help we will pull them all by the necks like lobsters out of a wicker trap End of chapter 34 Recording by David Granville Young